One reform which Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is determined to enact is to make sure that Japan exercises its right to collective self-defense. Some close observers of the Japanese scene find this odd. They know that Japanese troops often exercise with either the U.S. Marines or the U.S. Army. Japanese naval ships often exercise with ships of the U.S. Navy. Exercises also take place regularly between the Japanese and American air forces. These exercises imply the mutual commitment to each other that underpins collective self-defense. So, what's the need to change? But the hard fact is that until today, the Japanese government still takes the official position that, notwithstanding this continuing and visible close cooperation between Japanese and American military forces, Article Nine of the Constitution prohibits Japan's right to collective self-defense. This is a situation which Abe presumably would like to change, perhaps by amending Article Nine. Sixty-nine years after the bloody battle for Okinawa concluded World War II, there are still around fifty thousand American soldiers, sailors, and airmen based in Japan. This year sees the fifty-fourth anniversary of the revised U.S.-Japan Security Treaty. To outsiders, it seems that the U.S.-Japan Alliance and Security Treaty is collective self-defense. But while the U.S. implicitly pledges to come to Japan's aid if it is invaded or attacked, Japan does not yet pledge to do the same thing for the United States. One of the delights of living in Japan is that you can often come across some fascinating stories from history in the English language Japanese press, more often than you tend to do in other countries. The past is regularly used to illustrate the present or the future. So it was some three or four years ago that Japan's largest daily newspaper, the Yomiuri Shimbun, dug up a scoop from the 1950s out of Japan's history archives, and as the Yomiuri headlined, "Bold 1955 Treaty Offer to U.S. Revealed." Over a fascinating revelation that quote, the national government in 1955 drafted a treaty that would have allowed Japan to exercise its right to collective self-defense in the Western Pacific, strengthen its defense capabilities, and have the U.S. forces withdrawn from Japan. Unquote. Given the enduring nature of the U.S. military presence in Japan, it must have come as a surprise to many readers of the Yomiuri to learn that five years before the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty revision was finalized in 1960, the Japanese government had proposed a much more radical revision to the Americans. Revision was a hot political issue in the 1950s because the original 1951 U.S.-Japan Security Treaty placed the Japanese in subordinate and the Americans in dominant roles, coming as it did so soon after the post-war American occupation of Japan. The Yomiuri story reminded readers that quote. Back in 1955, the United States had overwhelming influence on Japan. The 1951 Security Treaty carried a clause that allowed U.S. forces to police domestic strife in Japan. Unquote.
The Japanese government in 1955 was the first to be controlled by what was then the newly emerged Liberal Democratic Party. It was led by Prime Minister Ichiro Hatoyama, grandfather of the recent DPJ Prime Minister Yukio Hatoyama. As the Yomiuri noted, it was widely known that Ichiro Hatoyama advocated independence from the United States, greater Japanese rearmament, and amending the Constitution. But the fact that his government drafted a more drastic replacement security treaty stipulating American withdrawal, <laughs> that was news. Evidently, the Yomiuri discovered the details of the 1955 proposal in diplomatic papers released in Tokyo, exactly 55 years to the day after nine new articles for Japan's proposed security treaty had been drafted. Article 2 of the Japanese proposal stipulated that the US and Japan would maintain and develop the capacities of individual or collective self-defense to resist armed attack, which by itself would have decreased Japanese dependence on the US. The proposed treaty covered the Western Pacific, whereas the 1951 treaty had applied only to the Far East. According to the Yomiuri account, Article 5 contained the proposal that, quote, all the ground forces of the U.S. Army and Navy will complete their withdrawal from Japan within 90 days of the end of the fiscal year when Japan's long-term national defense program is completed, unquote. Now, since such defense programs are usually spun out over a long period, that could mean that any withdrawal would not be immediate. The important point is that U.S. withdrawal was stipulated as a medium to long-term aim. But some State Department reports, which I dug up on the Internet, record a slightly different Japanese proposal. U.S. bases and forces in Japan to be used for collective defense only. U.S. ground forces to be withdrawn from Japan within six years. Also significantly, quote, the Japanese government requested that the U.S.-Japan security treaty be changed to a mutual defense treaty like the U.S.-Philippines mutual defense treaty or the Australia-New Zealand-United States ANZUS treaty, unquote. Yomiuri reported that the Japanese draft treaty was presented to the then American Secretary of State John Foster Dulles on August the 30th, 1955 in Washington, D.C. by the man who, in 1945, had hobbled on one leg onto the battleship U.S. Missouri to sign the Japanese surrender on behalf of Japan before himself spending time in prison as a Class A war criminal. But in 1955, he had become Japanese Foreign Minister Mamoru Shigemitsu, of whom it was said that he knew English well, mistrusted Americans greatly, supported Japan rearming enthusiastically, and feared dependence on the United States totally. At that meeting with Dulles, Shigemitsu evidently urged the renegotiation of the security treaty, but stressed that U.S. forces would only withdraw gradually from Japan. 
According to the Yomiuri account, Dulles, a widely recognized Republican hawk in the Eisenhower administration, quote, turned a deaf ear to Shigemitsu, saying the time was simply not right to begin formal negotiations, unquote. Another account has Dulles saying that negotiations would be possible only when the Japanese were willing to pay for their own military, to defend their own home islands, and also to help the United States abroad. But curiously, the fact that a proposal to discuss the ultimate aim of US withdrawal figured in the Dulles-Shigemitsu discussion does not seem to have been mentioned historically, until, that is, the Yomiuri disclosure. Undoubtedly, the Americans would have disapproved of the withdrawal suggestion, but they have concealed that disapproval by silence, by not making an issue of that Japanese proposal, either then or later. It is equally significant that the Hatoyama administration did not publicize the withdrawal proposal, nor play up the American rejection. It must be assumed, therefore, that both sides kept quiet about what has now been belatedly revealed out of concern lest the likely controversy damage the U.S.-Japan relationships. But a State Department memcon, the Memorandum of Conversation between Dulles and Shigemitsu, a report of which I found on the Internet, provides some additional details. Evidently, it was a heated exchange. Quote, Dulles said that Japan had not yet developed the capacity to defend itself, so the time for revising the security treaty had not yet come. Shigemitsu replied that when the security treaty was originally concluded in September 1951, Japan had no defense force, but now it had a defense force. Dulles asked whether Japan would come to the defense of the United States if Guam were attacked. Shigemitsu replied that Japan could do so even under the present constitution. Dulles said he had not previously realized that Japan thought it could do this. Shigemitsu emphasized that Japan wanted to be an equal partner like other countries having mutual security treaties with the United States, unquote. While the request made by Shigemitsu to revise the security treaty along the lines suggested was refused, the basis was set for future developments. Quote, In the joint statement released after the meeting, Shigemitsu was forced to agree that the U.S. ground forces in Japan would be gradually withdrawn and that Japan would strengthen its military power with a full-scale build-up of their own self-defense forces. Based on this agreement, the Japanese government in May 1957 adopted the basic policy on national defense for building up rational defense capabilities. Under Article 3 of the Security Treaty, which was revised in 1960, Japan was obliged to increase its military capacity. Since then, the U.S. government has repeatedly demanded increased Japanese military build-up based on this agreement, unquote. Almost certainly, the Eisenhower administration saw the Japanese withdrawal proposal in a Cold War light. It was worried by the Hatoyama administration's push to open up trade with communist China in 1955 and its opening of diplomatic relations with the Soviet Union in 1956. 
These moves implied to Washington that Tokyo was preparing to go it alone in international diplomacy. Hatoyama's more nationalist outlook was a stark contrast with the staunchly pro-American views of the previous Japanese government led by post-war Premier Shigeru Yoshida. America's immediate worries for the future of the U.S.-Japan alliance were diminished when Nobusuke Kishi became Prime Minister in 1957, negotiated a revision of the security treaty without any reference to U.S. withdrawal, and had it passed by the Diet in 1960. But the fact remains that the Hatoyama government was in tune with a sizable segment of Japanese public opinion. Not only much of the general public, but also many in the ruling circles at that time were aware that the original 1950 U.S.-Japanese Security Treaty had been an unequal treaty and they resented it as such. This resentment was borne out by the massive leftist-led demonstrations in 1960 against the revised security treaty, which forced President Eisenhower to cancel a planned visit to Japan at the very last minute and also forced Prime Minister Kishi to resign the day after the revised treaty was finally approved in the Diet. Yet the massive demonstrations of 1960 were the storm before the quiet. There has been nothing like it since. The revised treaty, the passage of which caused such a disturbance in 1960, will be celebrating its 54th anniversary this year. Likewise, as far as is known, between 1960 and 2009, there have been no further proposals for setting an ultimate date for the withdrawal of the U.S. military presence in Japan. The continued relevance of the U.S. presence has been taken for granted. But the Hatoyama demand in 1955 for an American withdrawal from Japan very likely contributed to a problem that bedevils U.S.-Japan security relations even until today. After the 1955-1960 crisis was over, the reliance of the U.S. Marines on Okinawa bases was increased since the U.S. military was in control there and did not return Okinawa to Japan until 1972. Had the U.S. bases been more evenly spread over the whole of Japan, today's base problems in Okinawa would almost certainly have been much less troublesome. Meanwhile, the Obama administration should bear in mind that Prime Minister Abe's pursuit of collective self-defense may also conceal a Japanese yearning for increased equality.